Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Welcome back to Talk Tech, everyone. You know, this is a, a funny thing, but even with the number of viable players in heavy-duty autonomous trucking shrinking, there are regulatory issues that need to be worked out for those that are still working on getting driverless trucks on U.S. highways. California legislators, uh, legislators so far are lining up against making that happen, or at least making it very difficult. We'll be talking today with Jeff Farah, the executive director of the Autonomous Vehicle Industry Association, uh, but first, we want to cover a few headlines. You know, hydrogen fueling stations are really expensive, like $15 million to $20 million each. But California is helping foot the bill with some grants, and Nicola is a big beneficiary. Uh, with Tuesday's awarding of $16.3 million, it brings to more than $58 million that the state is, uh, state's air quality districts are putting into 13 stations so far. And now those are going to be branded as public uh, stations, public filling stations under Nicola's Hyla brand and invest at partner Volterra, which signed on to back 50 stations financially at tune of about a billion dollars, is of course part of the deal. Uh, Nicola, by the way, said today it has surpassed 200 orders for hydrogen powered fuel cell trucks. Now it will work with the customers individually to figure out how to, uh, you know, best meet their needs for fuel. They originally were going to do uh, a package deal with maintenance and fuel and trucks. But uh, they're, they're looking now to be a little more flexible. Um, on the electrification side, California is also putting big money into electric infrastructure. Watt EV, which last week showed its first uh, electric depot at the port of Long Beach, uh, received a grant this week of $34.5 million from the California Transportation Commission to build and operate an electric charging depot on more than 100 acres of land. I'm sorry. That was last week. The $34.5 million is for a new depot on more than 100 acres uh, south of the Sacramento International Airport on Interstate 5. Uh, YDV also got $6.5 million from the Oregon Department of Environmental Quality to build a six-acre EV charging uh, depot in Salem, Oregon. So uh, even though Watt has not put up a lot of money so far that we can tell, they're doing really well in the grant department. Finally, uh, back to Nicola, Thursday is the day when the drama over Nikola's plans or hopes to get a doubling of its outstanding shares or of its authorized shares approved um, is that that deal is tomorrow. We already know the outcome because the state of Delaware on, on Tuesday uh, made it possible for uh, proposals like this to increase the number of authorized shares in a company uh, only require a, a vote of the number of people voting on that proposal instead of a true half plus one of all outstanding shares. Uh, Nickel already has enough shares to make this pass. So they'll make that official tomorrow. And then on Friday, uh, we're going to get their uh, second quarter earnings. Um, might be a bit of a surprise there in terms of how much money they actually have in the books because they've been doing some selling of assets uh, uh, in the quarter, including uh, a lease back on its plant property in Arizona. And it sold its hydrogen hub uh, in also in Arizona. 
And it uh, cashed out of a joint venture, manufacturing joint venture in Europe with Iveco. So uh, we'll be seeing those numbers on Friday. And of course, this is a pretty big week. So far, things are going well for Nikola. Uh, they've been able to get that share price back up over $3 for the first time since October. And uh, it's struggling a little bit today, but they may uh, they may end up there uh, after all. I didn't get the final close before it came on the air. Okay, let's welcome today's guest, Jeff Farah, the Executive Director of the Autonomous Vehicle Industry Association. The AVIA uh, represents the full range of autonomous uh, vehicles, both passenger vehicles and commercial vehicles. Um, and Jeff is the main spokesman for AVIA. Uh, he leads the public policy advocacy for the uh, for the association, and uh, you know basically runs the day to day operations. Uh, before joining AVI in last September, he was the general counsel of the National Venture Capital Association, and prior to that, he was counsel to the U.S. Senate Committee on Commerce, uh, Science, and Transportation, where he advised on uh, technology, telecommunications, and internet policy. Jeff, welcome to Truck Tech. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, listen, uh, you know, we don't know each other particularly well. We talked last week and for just a couple minutes before you came on, you've spent kind of your entire career advising on some pretty cutting edge technology issues. And I'm guessing autonomous vehicles might be the most technical yet. Um, how do you keep it simple when it comes to getting the message out uh, about AVs? Advising companies and investors on on technology issues is is a passion of mine. It's something that I I have done during my career, and it's been very rewarding. I obviously am a big believer in technology, and think it's going to improve and continue to improve all all walks of life. And so, the opportunity to to be the lead at the Autonomous Vehicle Industry Association is is certainly something that I've been very gratified to do. I think that from where I sit, a lot of policymakers. They really want to understand technology better. They want to understand how it is that they can improve their constituents' lives. And certainly when they look at autonomous vehicles, this is something that's been a curiosity for many years. And I think for a lot of policymakers, they almost regard this as kind of a neat science experiment that was out there over the horizon and maybe something aspirationally we would get to someday. But what's really exciting about where we sit now is that we are seeing so many deployments and commercial partnerships that are happening that we get to now tell the tale of how this is going to be directing, directly impacting Americans all over the country. And so when we talk with policymakers about this, I find that one of the ways that you can really get through and help to, to resonate is to speak directly to the benefits that autonomous vehicles are going to provide. I think a lot of times policymakers are coming into this for a, a few minutes and maybe an hour or so. And so you can't get too deep into all the technology, but you can certainly talk about easing supply chain challenges, which every small business has dealt with. You can talk about roadway deaths and the, the need to really increase safety on highways and roads in the country. You can also talk about mobility and accessibility and what it is that autonomous vehicles are, are going to do there. And I think the final thing I would just say is that every politician loves a good anecdote. And, and certainly there are a lot of great anecdotes in autonomous vehicles for how it is they are going to improve every walk of life. Last week, you put out some uh, numbers that were pretty interesting. 44 million uh, miles of autonomous driving, as in what we call level four or high autonomy driving. And of course, that covers passenger vehicles as well as commercial vehicles. Um, and yet, so many people have no exposure to this so far because, you know, if you're not in Arizona, you know, in the suburbs of Phoenix or in San Francisco or even LA, uh, you don't see the ride heli vehicles that have no driver in them, no human driver in them. And certainly on the highway, uh, you know, we're still using safety drivers. We're getting closer now to 
you know, driver out uh, uh, commercialization. Um, but how do you get that message out? The idea that there's so many of us really that aren't familiar with this. How do you, how do you do that? Well, I think the first thing is that that's why it was so important for us to get this information from via via membership and, and really drive that point home to talk about the fact that, that there have been more than 44 million autonomous miles driven just through our membership. And to put that in a little bit of context, that's about 180 trips to the moon. It's about 1,800 trips across the United States. And so we want to make sure that that everyone, including policymakers, understands just how much autonomous driving has already taken place. Because what's important is that we're now entering this phase of deployment where public awareness of autonomous vehicles is going to be popping up very significantly. Certainly from, I think, where you sit, you see all the commercial partnerships that, that, are, that are getting inked. And we see many different companies, whether they're in the autonomous shuttle space, zero occupancy delivery vehicles, the robo taxi space, they're announcing new cities that they're going into. We've certainly got, we've got deployments that are going on in Tennessee and Michigan, in Texas and Arizona, as you mentioned, and certainly in California. And so what this means is that more and more Americans are going to see these on their roads. It's also important that they understand that this is not a, a new phenomenon or an overnight success. These companies have been testing and, and deploying autonomously for more than a decade. Uh, many, many tens of millions of dollars has gone into the deployment of all of this. And so it's important that people understand that our industry has been very dedicated to the safety imperative for a long time, well well in advance of, of going on to American roads. And yet we've got the elephant in the room and you knew this was coming up and you knew that one of the reasons we came to talk about it, we even made it the topic. And that's what's happening in California. So far, at least from an observer's perspective like myself, you're not doing so good out there. You've got a lot of legislators that are lining up behind the idea of making autonomous vehicles, that is commercial vehicles now, over 10,001 pound, uh, continue to have safety drivers. And eventually, you know, yes, you could probably get there sometime in the next decade. But but th there's a real movement that seems to have coalesced around this. Now, we know that the legislatures thus far, the California Assembly, which you know, brought it, brought ahead uh, Assembly Bill 316, and now you've had one Senate committee, you know, basically vote in favor. Um, you're fighting the good fight, and yet, what's got to happen there, and how's this going to work out? Well, you're absolutely right. This has been a, a very tough fight for for the autonomous vehicle industry. The the bill that you're referring to, AB 316, is, is certainly something that we regard as, as completely unnecessary, uh, very, very premature, and, and would fundamentally and 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 preemptively ban this technology. In, in the state of California. And we think this is something that, that's very misguided. But let me put this in a little bit of context. Folks know that in 2012, the California state legislature uh, permitted autonomous vehicles to, to move forward in, in the state. They were a, a early advancer in, in, in this regard. And that required that the Department of Motor Vehicles put forward regulations. That was done on the light duty side, which is why you see deployments in, in cities like San Francisco and in Los Angeles today. But Things took a very long time on, on the heavy-duty side. And so the Department of Motor Vehicles and the California Highway Patrol have been very deliberate in, in terms of, of what they've done. There are no proposed rules to have autonomous trucks on, on California highways. There's been a couple of workshops that have really brought together stakeholders to share views, and, and our organization has certainly uh, participated in, in both of those. Despite that, you have a, a movement from, from organized labor to try and ban autonomous trucks, which is a massive overreaction that is not necessary and it responds to no particular rules that would put these trucks on the roads. 
it's really interesting to, to note that there were driver in bills like this in seven states last legislative session. It failed in six out of the seven. The only state that this bill and this idea rather has gotten any traction is in California. And that's really, really unfortunate when you consider that California is the leader when it comes to all types of autonomous vehicles, but certainly as it relates to autonomous trucking. It's where a lot of these companies are headquartered. It's where a lot of the engineers and other important individuals of these companies are, are there. They're paying taxes. They're raising their families there. And yet what some in California want to do is to kill this industry before it really gets off the ground. I think that's something that we really tried to, to drive this home to a lot of members of the state assembly and, and the state senate, certainly in, in the governor's office. And you're, you're right, to date, it's been a, a very tough environment. We're going to keep on on pushing on on this, on this concept because we think there's an important story to tell here around safety for, for trucks and trying to, to make California's highways more safe, certainly trying to help out with supply chain challenges. And so that's been something where we'll continue to, to push the story forward. So safety is one of the critics, you know, I don't have anybody on from them, so I'm going to have to throw those out there, you know, some of the, some of the arguments. Uh, safety of the vehicles, even though I think you can point to a pretty good safety record uh, thus far. And then job loss uh, are the two things that, especially the Teamsters, let's call it what it is. This is a Teamsters thing in addition to, you know, the legislators who, who brought forth the legislation and have gotten the votes so far. Um, th this is something that really kind of came out of the fact that you even started doing workshops. I mean, the workshop kind of led to this, didn't it? Brought, brought about this bill? You know, it's hard to know the exact motivations of, of, the, of the bill, but certainly the, the timing seems about right where there was an initial workshop and then, and then you have the introduction of, of, of the bill. I think there's a couple of things here that we need to, to separate out. So let's talk about the safety issue first. The, the first thing to note here is that we, we understand this is a new technology. People are bound to have a lot of questions about it. But really what the proponents of AB 316 have, have resorted to is outright fear-mongering when it comes to this issue. If you think about autonomous vehicles, we are subjected to much higher data reporting requirements over incidents that happen with our vehicles than any other type of vehicle mode, and that includes autonomous trucks. And if you look at the safety record that is reported to the Department of Transportation by our members, this is a remarkable safety record. This is something where uh, the, the, overwhelmingly, any incidents that are reported happen to be because of the, the human element that, that ends up hitting the trucks or, or dealing with these, these sorts of things. So th there, there is no safety story to tell here. And yet what the proponents of AB 316 are, are doing is really taking advantage of people's fears and really playing a game of, of politics with safety. Because what they're really trying to do is to remove these decisions about how to regulate autonomous trucks away from expert regulators at the California Highway Patrol and also at the Department of Motor Vehicles and place it again with a legislative body that can politicize the process. So that's really unfortunate. I have the second piece around jobs. Again, I, I, I completely empathize with people who, who have a lot of questions about what autonomous vehicles generally and autonomous trucks specifically are, are going to mean for American jobs. I think that we've tried very hard to enter into dialogue, especially with, with those in labor to explain what the intentions are of the, of the, of the industry, uh, to explain that there is a massive truck driver shortage out there that we think is something that our industry can help to address. And also to explain that we think that autonomous trucking is going to create many more economic opportunities, especially locally and in people's communities. And so that's something that we've been having this conversation. I think, again, fear has, has taken over here and, and it's led to a high degree of rationality. And so we're, we're trying to bring a little bit of sanity to this debate in Sacramento. 
Okay, so if regulation is being replaced by politics, if I can summarize what I think you, you sort of said, then politics often is about compromise. And in, this, in some Senate uh, writings that I saw recently before the last committee voted, there were a couple of potential compromises kind of laid out in there. Do you think we get to compromise? And we can talk about Governor Newsom in a moment, but do you think we get to a point of compromise uh, that maybe prevents this from happening as written? We, we have certainly been interested in engaging in, in conversations about some kind of a middle ground that, that could, uh, could occur. And, and I'll tell you that, that we as an industry have, have, have certainly put forward some proposals of, of different ways of approaching this, trying to understand a lot of the concerns of the author and of the, of the supporters of the bill. Those, those proposals have been completely rejected, which is very unfortunate because, as you say, in a healthy democracy, there, there ought to be a, a compromise that, that takes place, try and deal with this, this problem in a, in, a, in a better way, especially when you talk about so many California jobs that are on the line when it comes to what it is that AB3 and 316 is, is doing. And so we'll continue to hammer that home. We, we've certainly been in dialogue with, with the governor's team and trying to explain to them the economic benefit that, that autonomous trucking is going to put forward and want to make sure that we continue to, to raise those throughout the legislative process. You, you may not want to answer this. I'm going to ask it anyway. What do you think Governor Newsom's going to do if this reaches his desk? I mean, he made a comment to the effect of you can't stop the future, but I don't know if you can really draw much from that. What what happens if it goes to his desk? Yeah, hard to, hard to get in Governor Newsom's head for sure, but I'll, I'll tell you what, what I would be thinking, which is that you know, you, you have a, a expert regulator in, in the California Highway Patrol and the Department of Motor Vehicles that are doing all the right things and asking all the right questions. They've been extremely deliberate. Again, this bill was passed first in 2012, and we are only getting now around to having a couple of workshops to have these conversations. And so within the Newsom administration, you have people that are being very thoughtful and deliberate and approaching this in a, in a, in a very measured way. And what the legislature is doing is really undermining the Newsom administration. They are trying to take away this decision-making around safety, around deployment of life-saving technology away from Governor Newsom and his team, give it to the state legislature in a highly politicized fashion. And so I know if I were him, I would be quite offended that this is, is going on and I would want to push back on that. So certainly we encourage him to do just that. Okay. One last thing on this, and we're going to move on. And that is Governor Newsom has two main constituencies in California and maybe some aspirations to run for president, if not in 2024, maybe 2028. Technology and technology companies and labor are his two big ones. I think maybe you'd agree, maybe you wouldn't, but those would seem to be two major constituencies. One of them is going to be very unhappy if he ends up having to either uh, sign or veto this legislation. Well, I think this gets to your point earlier about about compromise and, and the nature of compromise. I think that there are there are elements that our industry has proposed to try and alleviate some of the concerns that the proponents of the bill claim that they have. And this is something that, that we are willing to talk about this. We are willing to find a, a way to address this. But unfortunately, we've been stonewalled the entire time. And so uh, I think that the, the governor is, is well situated to try and broker a compromise between those constituencies, as you say. Okay. All right. Well, I guess I guess uh, you know it's interesting that we were talking about jobs as part of this, and and there was some uh, uh, there was a, a hearing in the in the uh, House last week, the U.S. House, uh, about China and jobs, and uh, you know especially in the AV space. Um, where did you guys enter into that discussion? Maybe you can quickly kind of bring us up to speed on what's happening there, because it does again get a jobs, and in this case, it would presumably be 
Chinese companies bringing technology here or something like that. Absolutely. So th- this hearing in the Energy and Commerce Committee, it, it followed a hearing that took place earlier this year that, that I was honored to be able to testify uh, before the, the Energy and Commerce Committee on. And in the, in the context of the, the hearing that I mentioned, this was um, something around China competitiveness and how it is the U.S. can lead on technology going forward. And so the hearing that you're referring to was really a follow-on to examine autonomous vehicle legislation and how it is that, that we can move forward on this piece. I think the members of Congress are, are really interested in finding out where it is China is vis-a-vis the United States as it relates to autonomous vehicle technology. And we've been very, very specific in saying that while we think the United States remains the global leader, we think the Chinese government is, is not that far behind. And, and certainly that country has taken a lot of interest in, in their country being a, a global leader on AV technology. And we don't think that the U.S. government needs to be acting in the same way as the Chinese government are from it. We have two very different systems. But at the same time, we need to figure out our own American-style way of supporting this industry, making sure that we continue to lead with private sector growth, private sector capital off the sidelines, deployed into life-saving technology, regulatory clarity, so that we can hit the ground running, get this technology out to more Americans. And so that's a message that resonates. Certainly, you heard it during that hearing, and we were really pleased to be able to to cheerlead that on and and really lead as part of the hearing. Okay, so the Department of Transportation has weighed in at, at various stages, you know, with autonomous thinking, I guess, guidelines. And yet we have a lot of states, as you pointed out, you didn't mention 42, and I hope that's the right number, but 42 states that have some form of autonomous testing in place. Is that the correct number or is it a little higher now? There, there are 23 states that have passed this via legislation, and there are others that have done it by regulation, and some of those are testing only states, and, and there's a little bit of nuance there. But I, I take your point that there's certainly a lot of states that have embraced this. Okay. So what's it going to take and over what timing do you think to get sort of a 50 state? I realize Hawaii and some of these states in the North may not be the best choice for autonomous trucking, but uh, what's it going to take to get a, a 50 state regulation so that you do not have, like we do right now with um uh, with electrification and, and some of the other, you know, carbon issues, uh, kind of a one federal policy. What's that going to take, and over what time? In, in many ways, we're always going to have the, the, this system where the states have a lot to say, and the federal government's going to say. That's just our our system of federalism, and, and certainly FMCSA under the under the Department of Transportation is going to be a, a, a key player. Congress has things that that it needs to do, but the states have have such a big role in terms of. There are roadways, licensing, insurance, liability, things like this, that they will continue to be very actively involved. I think what's really important is that both the federal government and the state governments need to respect the roles of each other and understand that there are domains that they need to operate into. I think that sometimes the tension occurs when when one side is maybe stepping into to the other. And so from our viewpoint, we need a couple of things. The first is that we need a federal policy framework. That means Congress enacting federal legislation that, that does some things that, that only Congress can can do. And as part of that federal framework, you also need the Department of Transportation uh, to be taking action on rulemaking through FF, FFMCA and NHTSA. At the same time, you need more states to be embracing autonomy and passing a state framework that, that permits autonomous vehicles to be on their roads. As I said, 23 states have, have already done this. The great news from an autonomous trucking perspective is that You've got this incredible van that, that starts over in Arizona and ends in, in Georgia and Florida. So you have this, this great network of states that have really stepped forward and said that autonomous trucking 
is going to be the future of transportation in their states. A lot of these states are beginning to talk with each other, share best practices, understand how it is that they can benefit from a lot of the economic activity that, that's ongoing. And so at Avia, we'll continue to do the work to, to see if we can add more states to that map. And that's really the, the future of how it is that we lay this all out in this country. Yep. And, and just to revisit it, is there a state more important to add to that group than California? I mean, with the amount of econ- economic heft uh, that they carry, uh, it seems like you really need that one as much as you might need Mississippi or, and I don't know if Mississippi's in or not, but you know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, it seems like you really need this. Well, I, I think it's very important, and especially when you consider that a lot of nearby states have, have really embraced autonomous trucking, states like Arizona and New Mexico and, and Nevada. Also consider the fact that the Port of Los Angeles and Long Beach near where I grew up, it, it's lost a little bit of its luster over time. A lot of the economic activity has has moved to the east. Other other states and ports have really stepped in to try and challenge them in many ways. And so this is really a chance for for California to avoid a, a self-inflicted wound by by trying to pass AB 316. This is something where they, they really need to understand that they are, are not alone. They are not as dominant, perhaps, as, as they used to be. Other states uh, see the opportunity here. Their ports want to have this activity. Their networks want to be a part of it. And so we're hopeful that California comes to its senses and ultimately rejects this bill. All right. Well, Jeff, thank you so much. I get, you really had kind of a free reign here and, and you took advantage of it, which is great to get this across. Thank you so much for joining us today and uh, uh, wish you all the best. We'll be watching. Believe me. Thank you so much. We're, we're honored to do it. Okay. All right, folks. Next week, we will be back with another episode. It uh, looks like Mike Roth from the uh, North American Council for Freight Efficiency will be our guest, as well as someone from his run-on-less electric depot a program which is coming up here in September. So hope to see you then.